You're listening to the FC Young Adult Podcast. Hey guys, hope you're doing great. Uh, We are in the second part of a new series entitled At the Table. We're looking at different interactions that Jesus has with people uh, over meals. And it could be something that he says at the actual meal to the people who are present at the meal. It could be a story that he tells of those people, parable, whatever it may be. But there's great impact in these interactions that happen. And a lot of them happen in the gospel of Luke. And last week we looked at Luke chapter 5, and we asked uh, several different questions, but one of the questions we asked asked is, is is Jesus compelling enough to follow? And I hope that by the time we got to the end of that, you were like, yeah, he is. But we asked some hard questions. We dug through those things. We asked um, some questions that caused us to, to do some introspection. And if you missed that, you can check that out on last week's episode of the podcast. This week, we're actually just going to continue uh, talking about this story, the story found in Luke chapter 5. Um, there was is six verses left of the passage of this interaction, and I think that it's worth us diving into um, because there's a lot of meat uh, to chew on. And so I want to read uh, Luke chapter 5, verses 27 through 32. That's last week's passage. What that's going to do is it's going to set up set us up a little bit contextually for this week. And so if you listened last week, hopefully it'll jog your memory. Um, if you didn't listen last week, hopefully it will set a little bit of context for you. So Luke chapter 5, verses 27 through 32 says this. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector named Levi. That's the apostle Luke. Uh, sorry, the Apostle Matthew, sitting at the tax office, and he said to him, follow me. So leaving everything behind, he got up and began to follow him. Then Levi hosted a a grand banquet for him and his house. Now there was a large crowd of tax collectors and others who were reclining at the table with them. But the Pharisees and their scribes were complaining to his disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus replied to them, it is not those who are healthy who need a doctor, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So that sets a little bit of context for us. It hopefully reminds us of where we are at in the story in Luke chapter 4. And verses 33 through 35 go on to say this. But then they, this is the Pharisees, said to him, Jesus, Hey, John the Baptist's disciples fast often and say prayers, and those of the Pharisees do the same, but yours eat and drink. Jesus said to them, You can't make the wedding guests fast while the groom is with them, can you? But the time will come when the groom will be taken away from them, then they will fast in those days. So this is a simple one-verse question by the Pharisees, followed by a two-verse response from Jesus, and yet I think there's a ton to unpack here. The first point this week is a posture of comparison. A posture of comparison. After coming from a stan- uh, from a stance of judgment, the Pharisees get kind of put in their place by Jesus, and their immediate response isn't repentance. Their immediate response is not uh, asking for forgiveness. It is to then compare. They immediately shifted to comparison. And is that not the most human response ever? For us, 2,000 years later, it's still a response that we have, too. Comparison becomes such a huge part of our lives, whether it's via social media or our social circles. We compare so much. We often become more concerned about how we stack up against the people around us than we care about being the man or the woman that God has called us to be. Being a pastor... In 2023 is really, really interesting for a lot of different reasons, but one of the reasons is that um, 
Everybody's sermons are online. Everybody's videos are online. Everybody's podcasts are online, whatever it may be. And it can be really easy for me personally to get caught up in a posture of comparison with the people around me. There are people that I admire dearly who have podcasts, who have um, incredible churches where they bring unbelievable messages every week. There, There's a, a young adult ministry in Dallas, Texas um, called The Porch. Many of you probably know about it. They have literally thousands of young adults who attend on a weekly basis. I mean, it is a mega church of just young adults. And it's really easy for me to look at those things and be like, oh, well, we're not there. We're not there. That's not happening here. I don't preach like that. I don't have that kind of wisdom. I don't kind of. I don't have that kind of biblical knowledge. I don't have that kind of uh, theology. I don't. I don't have those things, and I just start to like spiral. I just start to think about all of the things that I am not. And uh, I, I had a revelation like a couple years ago, but it's something like the Lord just has to keep coming back because I would love to say that like you have this in- encounter with the Holy Spirit, and it's just like now and forever you will have the right perspective about this. That's not how it works. Um, he said he has to constantly remind me, but I had the Lord just really speak really sweetly to my heart. And he just said, Evan, I didn't call you to be them. I called you to be faithful to who I've called you to be. You're not there. You're here. Those aren't your young adults. These are young adu- your young adults. That's not your platform. This is your platform. I am not asking you to be anyone but you and be faithful to the calling that I've placed on your life. And if I needed to hear that, I'm sure there are other people who need to hear that too. It can be so easy to look at her or look at him, whatever it may be, and say, ah, I wish I was that. I wish I had that talent. I wish that I had that gift. And would you hear, would you hear this? God did not ask you to be them. He asked you to be you. That you were uniquely and wonderfully made. From the moment from the moment you were created, you were uniquely and wonderfully positioned to do what only you can do. So stop trying to take other people's giftings. Stop trying to take other people's talents. Stop trying to be other people and be faithful to who God has called you to be. Do not fall into the lie or into the posture of comparison. Because we have, we all have that on some level in our lives, right? We all tend to compare in one way or another. It is our human nature to compare. And it can be our default operating mode. But there's a quote by Teddy Roosevelt, and I brought it up several times. But it's simply this. Comparison is the thief of joy. Comparison is the thief of joy, and ain't that the truth? Comparison absolutely is the thief of joy. When we live in a posture of comparison, there is no fruit to be bared. There's no fruit there. We need to be people who spend our time being faithful to who God has called us to be, not all of that energy on comparing ourselves to others. Would we be diligent and intentional about spending all of that energy that it takes to compare to other people on instead becoming who God had called us to be and then encourage others to do the same? If you see someone that you admire, encourage them. Say, hey, I think that you are who God has called you to be, and I think that's amazing. I think I'm working on me, but I'm so glad that you are who God has called you to be, and you are running in your lane. I'm going to run in mine. That doesn't mean that we can't learn from each other. That doesn't mean that we, we can't admire one another, but it means that we are not trying to be one another, and we are not going to fall into the trap of comparing ourselves to one another.
The second thing is this, is the Pharisees were waiting on what had already arrived. <laughs> we have to address the reason that the Pharisees were comparing in the first place. They, they had a problem with the fasting discipline of the disciples or lack thereof. In, in Judaism, fasting was about waiting and bewailing the present time because it was a time where the kingdom of God had still not arrived. But what they didn't understand is that hope had arrived. The kingdom of, God, kingdom of God was now alive and it was active. And it wasn't just alive and active. It was among them. They were missing the very Messiah that they were so earnestly waiting for. The reason that the disciples of Jesus could not fast the way that the Jewish, Jewish religious elite were desiring was because they were celebrating that Jesus was who, he, who they had been waiting for. Jesus was who he said he was. Over the course of this series, we're going to look at all these different meals and there are these little glimpses of what God promises at the end of time, a wedding feast. These, these meals are just tiny representations of that. And the last thing that you do at a wedding feast is what? Fast. No, at a wedding, at a wedding, you eat, you drink responsibly if you're over 21, and you celebrate. You celebrate the bride. You celebrate the groom. It's not a time to sit in the corner in a posture of fasting saying like, oh man, like, I'm just going to really make sure that I like think about that. Like, no, you're like, you are partying. It is a celebratory event. You're like, oh my gosh, like the bride and groom are among us. They come up and they're like, let's dance. And you're like, nah, nah, I'm not going to dance. And they're like, hey, hey, we brought food. We, we catered this event. You want to eat? Nah, I don't want to eat. Oh my gosh. Like we have, we have all these specialty lemonades and all these different things going on over here. Like, can I get you a drink? Like, can you, can you toast to our marriage? No, I'm not going to do that. Like, what are you doing? Like that, that is not how we, we act at weddings. No, we celebrate what God is doing in the midst of a union. And this was a representation, a glimpse of the greatest union ever between God, the groom, and the church, his bride. You see, the, the Pharisees were, were biblical party poopers, trading the opportunity to celebrate for cheap criticism of Jesus and cheap crit criticism of his friends. Jesus says that there's a somewhat sad element to this too, that the groom would be taken away and then it would be time to fast again. And there was this short time, right, where, where not long after this, Jesus is taken, he is beaten, he is, he is crucified, and, and there's this three-day window where the disciples didn't know what was going to happen next. They, they believed that he was the Messiah, but they didn't understand. They didn't understand what was going on. That was a time for them to fast in anticipation of what God was going to do Next, when Jesus raises from the dead, he shares more meals with people. He ascends into heaven. And now we as disciples of Jesus, 2,000 years later, we fast in eager expectation of what is to come. Not because the kingdom of God hasn't come, but because the kingdom of God did. Because it started here on earth. And we can't wait for Jesus to come back and establish it once and for all. We fast with eager anticipation of what God wants to do in our lives and in our world. The story goes on to say this in verses 36 through 38. It says, He also told them a parable. No one tears a patch from a new garment and puts it in an old garment. Otherwise, not only will he tear the new, but also the piece from the new garment will not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins. It will spill and the skins will be ruined. No, new wine is put into fresh wineskins. The next point of this week is that we don't get to pick and choose. We don't get to pick and choose. I want to look at this in a couple different ways. First of all, religiosity. The Jews were law-driven. 
works-based. And we can be too. They had a structure. They had a system. And Jesus was there to absolutely wreck the religious systems. What was, was no longer. On a practical level, I think we have to relate with them and understand how discombobulating this would be. What they knew their whole lives was being disrupted. Like, if they, they, they had dedicated their lives to the Jewish faith. They were being faithful to those things. I think it's really easy. If you grew up in church like I did, you hear the word Pharisee and Sadducee, you're like, oh, evil. Like, they're the bad guys. Which, yes, like, some of them some of them ended up being the bad guys. They, they put Jesus on the cross. But not every single person who had dedicated their lives to the Jewish faith was bad by any stretch of the imagination, right? Like these were people who had dedicated their lives to doing what God had told the nation of Israel to do. Now it had been twisted. It had been corrupted. There was a lot of Pharisees and Sadducees who were in on the game with Rome and they had released, they had, they had uh, received status and power and position. And so now it wasn't just them like, oh my gosh, like what I've known, I need to shift. It's like, oh, I have to give up like my home. I have to give up my wealth. If I'm going to follow Jesus, I have to give up everything. And he's like, yeah, yeah, you and everybody else, man, like surrender your life to me. So this was discombobulating. This was this was a wild shift in their perspective. So on a human level, we have to be willing to, to have empathy for that because it happens to us all the time, right? We get comfortable in our structures and our practices and our positions and our influence and all those different things. And when something threatens that, we get defensive. It is our human nature to get defensive. We try to protect what we know. But can I tell you something? You and I will never grow in comfort. You and I will never become X, Y, and Z, what God has called us to be, that, that rug, standing in comfort. We will never become standing in comfort. Jesus was offering a salvation that was no longer found in accomplishing the law, but surrendering to the will of God and declaring Jesus as Lord. Another way that this shows up is that we try to bring our old lives and habits into a surrendered life with Christ. But here's the thing. If we've surrendered our lives to Christ, we're being called away from what was. We're being called away from the old into the new. If we want to follow Jesus, it must be wholeheartedly. And now hear me. I totally understand that we are in process and nobody's following Jesus to perfection. But we have to do whatever we can to avoid white knuckling our way into a life that he has called us to. Right? Like it's not like something where we intentionally say, okay, I'm quote unquote, wink, wink, surrender to Jesus. But I'm going to white knuckle this habit, this addiction, this relationship that I know is unhealthy into my relationship with Jesus. But I want to stamp my ticket to heaven. So I'm going to quote-unquote surrender my life like no that's not how this works we can't bring our old lives our old habits all those things into a new life surrender to christ if we want the full measure of god's will in our lives we have to let go of the old that we so desperately want to drag and tag along with us we want to we want to it wants to take along with us we want to drag it in like all of these things want to come with us and we're saying no you stay there you got to stay in the old life I'm, i'm taking the new life that jesus is offering to me See, here's what Jesus is saying, and it applies to both of these. If we try to pour the new life that we receive from Jesus into old works-driven systems, they are bound to burst. If we try to pour our new surrendered life into a life where we keep holding on to old habits and ways of thinking, same result. We must be people who refuse to pour old wine or new wine that Jesus offers into old wineskins. No, new wine goes into the new vessel that God has created within us. There's a final verse, 
Chapter 5, verse 39, it says this, And no one, after drinking old wine, wants new, because they say the old is better. The question I want to ask is this, is do we trust that the way of Jesus is better? Do we trust that the way of Jesus is better? We must admit that leaving what was for what could be is not an easy decision. Our humanity causes us to fight against the unknown, but Jesus is reaching out his hand and offering us a whole new life. Are we going to be willing to take it? Are we going to be willing to take it? There's this picture. Maybe you've seen it. Maybe you haven't. Uh, at Young Adults, I, I put it up on the screen. Can't really do that for the podcast. But but there's this picture of this little girl who's holding a teddy bear. It's so cheesy. But it is like I always say that, and then I look at it, and I'm like, gosh, dang it, it got me again. I'm like, tears. So there's this little girl holding this teddy bear. And then there's Jesus standing across from her, down on one knee with a huge teddy bear behind his back. And he's asking for her to give her him his her teddy bear. And says, but I love it, God. And he says, just trust me. Like that is, that is, there's a profound truth in this. That we have things that we are comfortable with. We have things that, that we want to hold on to tightly. And God's like, hey, can you give that? To, give me your life. Everything that is your life. Like, let's pretend like that little teddy bear is your entire life. And he's like, give that to me. And what I give back to you will be more than anything that you could ever ask for or imagine. Do we trust that the way of Jesus is better? That instead of being like, no, like I love this. This is what I know. This is, this is what I'm comfortable with. We would say, oh, I trust you, Jesus. And if you're asking me to hand this to you, I will do that every day in trust and in faith that what you hand back to me will be better than what I would have for myself. And if we are willing to, if we're willing to be people who hand our lives over to Jesus, we have to ask this. Are we trying to live those new lives with an old perspective? Right? We, we agree. I hope you agree. I know that Jesus changes everything. That my life is not the same because of Christ. The life that he offers us is not just to glorify him. It absolutely is to glorify him, but it's a life that benefits us in ways that we could never imagine. It's not just about him. It's about his love for us. The problem is that when we say, yes, I want to, it is a yes, but. It is, yes, I want to surrender, but not this, not this habit. Yes, I want to follow, but not when it gets hard. Yes, I trust you, Lord, but not in this season or with this circumstance. If we are not careful, we become like the Pharisees, having a new opportunity right in front of us, but holding on to an old life. Like we, we can so easily become people who have this amazing new life offered to us by Christ. And we say, you know what? I'm good. This one that I have, I think I'm going to hold on to that because I'm afraid that I can't trust you to be who you say you are my hope is that we would become people that say a wholehearted yes to jesus and we prepare ourselves for a life that is absolutely imperfect and it will be challenging and it will have unexpected twists and turns but it will bring more joy and abundance than we could ever imagine so would we be people who say yeah i trust that the way of jesus is better that i'm not gonna to pick and choose parts of my old life and try to pour them into my new one. I'm not going to try to take this new life and pour it into my old systems. 
Instead, I'm going to say, thank you for the new life, Jesus. Thank you for the new wine. Lord, would you fill up this vessel that is my life? Would you create in me something new? And let's do this together. Thank you for listening to the FC Young Adult Podcast. If you are in the Billings area, we would love to see you at our in-person gatherings on Tuesday nights at 7 p.m. If you're unable to attend in person, there are always ways to engage online. Follow along through Instagram at faithchapel.ya or find our ministry page at faithchapel.cc. You are loved.